everybody. This is Dave Juskow from the Dave Juskow Podcast. And today we're going to play The Godfather Part 1, Episode 3, or what we call The Year of the Godfather, which is always performed live at the Village Underground. This one in particular being performed on Tuesday, August 2nd, 2016, at uh, right around the corner from the Comedy Cellar, a division of the Comedy Cellar, The Village Underground. This is the third time we've done this, and... What we do is perform, we're performing the entire Godfather Part 1, and it's taken me five episodes to do it. So we are nitpicking, we are going through each scene, and we are having a lot of fun. Last, I think this time, August 2nd, you, maybe you've heard the previous two versions, was the best one we've done, which couldn't have made me happier, because as you know, if you've listened to the show before, I was quite disappointed with the second one. I, Although I like to blame the cast. I mean, I don't blame them. I like to make fun of them and I like to pick on them because that's what I do and it's my favorite thing to do. And I think it's really funny to just pick on your cast. Um, I For the last one, I blamed myself and I just don't think I, I think I knew what I did wrong and I said, I'm going to fix it this time and I believe I did. And I, I really, really felt great about this incarnation, the third episode out of Five. The next one being at the Village Underground on November 15th. Um, that'll be episode four, which is going to be very complicated since it's basically Michael just going around Italy for an hour uh, with no dialogue. So obviously I have to find a way to figure that out, but uh, I will, just like I figured this one out. And like I said, this is um, it, it's very good, but again, you know, it's so funny. L- you know, I put the whole thing together. I put a lot of time into it. And when I listen to it back in the, you know, in my headphones, when you just hear people, you know, in the dialogue, it, of course, drives me crazy. There's obviously things I didn't hear because I was on stage at the time or whatever, things that just make me cringe and make me angry. But all in all, still a lot of fun. I mean, Dan Natterman, if this guy who did a brilliant job, if he could just one time talk into the microphone, I swear to God, I don't know what I need to do with this guy. He's he's a wonderful guy. He did amazing in the show. But, it, you know, when you hear it, I mean, I've tried to compress the levels to make it. I mean, it's so obvious, you know, when I put it into the editing system, you can see his levels are lower than everybody else's. And that's just, a, you know, a, the, those peaks and valleys in the stupid audio. It's just a bunch of lines. I, I don't know what his deal is. He, apparently he can't read a script and talk into the microphone at the same time. But when you can hear him, and if I did the levels correctly, and I don't want to go through the whole thing. I really just don't want to go through the whole thing. Um, I mean, I'd like to one day, maybe tighten it up or something. But for now, I just like putting it out the week after because those of you who listen to the show, you know, I talk about The Godfather all the time. I mean, the show, because it's something I'm working on. So I want you to hear it right away. Uh, so, you know, you'll hear that he, he does a great job. His lines are right on point. But for Christ's sakes, I don't know what the deal with the guy is. So you got a couple of those guys that don't talk into the mic, but hopefully I've figured out some of it. Um, everybody did a, a pretty good job. <laughs> you know, listen, I mean, you know, uh, I'm I'm very strict in uh, in the way I uh, look at everything. So we have me. I'm doing the narrator. I do it as Charlton Heston. It's all explained. First, you're going to hear my my, uh, and I'm doing the air quotes stand up. Uh, which went really good. You know, it's, it's I do the best I can. 
try and warm up the crowd, but it's always a great crowd. And then Sam Morell, a wonderful stand-up comic, kind of a new kid on the block uh, who you're going to hear a lot about, uh, does great, but he's also low, but that's his style of stand-up. I'm going to need to boost that a little bit too. Uh, that's just frustrating for me personally. Uh, he went a little long, so it just keeps on going. You'll be like, when are we getting to The Godfather? But, you know, if you're listening to it, if you really are finished with him, you can slide along. Uh, it's my fault. I probably didn't. I told him how much time to do, but I didn't give him a light or anything because um, he was going through a bad time, so I just let him go. And he was great, and everybody thought so too. And then I come up, I introduce the cast, I give the announcements of what's uh, going on, uh, like a Benet Brith dinner. Uh, and then uh, we perform the show, we introduce everybody, and I say that, you know, the last time I just, I didn't, I know how the script goes, I know how, you know, I, I know how it is in my head, how I want it to sound, so I give myself a, a couple more parts, you know, because I know the flow that I wanted to do, so this time I play the narrator of the first 10, 15 minutes or so, uh, but I do it as Charlton Heston from the Ten Commandments, because that's the way I felt like doing it. Is there any reason for that? Absolutely not. I just wanted to do a funny voice and uh that's the way i decided to do it and i think i left at the appropriate time and then my friend rick chrome comes up who of course is his voice is fantastic but he does flub lines a lot um i guess it's not his fault you know maybe if he looked at the script before he walked in that day uh that would be good no i i know he does and he tries really hard and everybody flubs the lines you know, except me, of course. I'm not saying I'm the best. I'm just saying, you know, I know how it is. I'm obsessed with the thing. And I really try not to flub lines because it drives me personally crazy when I hear it back. Uh, certainly, I, you know, I flubbed a few myself. but And it's also, you can't blame Rick completely. Also, my writing is not good. You know, I do the best I can. Sometimes I take some stuff from the book. And I, I don't know. I guess he wouldn't be good at doing audiobooks. Uh, but he's a delightful guy, and his voice is amazing, and he did a great job, and I love working with him. So how about that? That's the thing. Everybody I'm going to pick on in this next two seconds, I really love working with, and I wouldn't change anything about them. I uh, I just really like picking on everybody. I can't help myself. It, it's fun for me. Uh, Dan Natterman, we've already talked about. It. He will be playing Michael Corleone. Russ Maneve will be playing Sonny. Russ is just a sweetheart of a guy. He's doing a great job as Sonny. You know, maybe these aren't the best actors, but remember, they're they're comedians, and that's that's on me. You know, I, I choose to use comedians instead of actor because it's much more fun. They know how to deal with a live show, so they're they're good on the fly. Uh, Lenny Marcus sometimes again doesn't talk into the mic. He's playing Tom Hagen, but such a lovely guy. I would never not use him in anything, and he did a a wonderful job. Or good enough. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Well, sometimes I tell him, can you do it like the movie? And I know I say this before. I'm like, I swear to God, I have no idea if anybody's actually seen the movie before. <laughs> sometimes. I'm just like, just this part, can you do like the movie? Uh, I don't know. Listen, they're not actors. They're not actors. And, uh, you know, me, I'm a, me and Artie are obsessed with doing it exactly the right way, like from the movie. And everyone else is just, they're just a pleasure to work with. So I don't have any problems. And nobody brings the show down or anything, except for Adam and not talking to the mic. Uh, I play, uh, I'm going to play, uh, uh, Charlton, I play the narrator, then I also play McCluskey, which I'm a little loud in the mic, actually, the, the exact opposite, and Richard Klein even told me to move back a little bit, uh, but I didn't, because I, you know, I can't help, I'm so obsessed with talking into the mic, and I also play Tessio, and I think I got it pretty good, I got a good Abe Vigoda going, uh, I did an okay job, I'm not, you know, 
totally immersed by it, but I did I did the best I could as Tessio. Uh, Jenny Lynn Rodriguez, who's a very pretty actress, plays Kay Adams. She did uh, good. Her speaking voice is uh, very sexy. Uh, there, you know, a couple of things I'd like to work on is, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with actors and actresses and you only have five minutes to work with them before showtime, it's difficult to sometimes convey exactly what you want to happen. Uh, Mike Pichetti, of course. I mean, this guy, you can't not use him for a couple of things. He plays this uh, stranger, which I added in, uh, Lou the limo driver, and Officer Phil, who's the only actual real character from The Godfather. You know, like, I, I can't take him in, Captain. There's a war hero, you know, but Pichetti doing the line is funny. Uh, the nurse from the uh, hospital scene is played by William Stevenson. He does a great job. He's really funny. He's always high. Uh, you know, he, he didn't uh, get up at one point. He, like, sat down too early, and then we bring him up, and you can hear the whole thing happen, and it's kind of fun. And, and that is the fun of the – that is the fun of the thing, kind of the messing up. I mean, that is kind of the joy of seeing it live. But, again, you know, for me, I'm always like, well, when you hear it back, it's kind of frustrating. But that this, this part's not frustrating at all. Matteo Lane, we always use. He plays Enzo the Baker and then Johnny Fontaine in the sense that we – sing a little song like we did last time a little bit, which, you know, take it or leave it the way it is. Um, and Richard Klein, of course, from Three's Company, uh, wonderful guy. He plays a lot, so I was, um, you know, nervous to ask him about it, to do it, because, you know, it was a smaller part this time and stuff, but he, he was a joy, and he did a great job, a really good job, and brought some other stuff to the table. Uh, and then, of course, Artie, Artie Lang, who plays Clemenza, it's so funny. Artie comes in, you know, last minute, had had not read the script at all. Now, Artie Lang, we all know, knows The Godfather backwards and forwards. So I don't have to worry about Artie Lang. I even told him, you don't even have to come to rehearsal. I know he doesn't like getting there early. And he did a great job. You'd never know. He just opened, you know, he, gave, he didn't look at the script at all. And he just saw it. The day. That's why he laughs at some of the lines, because he didn't even know what was coming. And still, he did a great job. I was talking to some girls who were sitting right in the front row, and I... I was like, you know, Artie sometimes doesn't look like he's going to stand up properly. And all they were saying was like, boy, he's a really good actor, which is what we found in uh, Judd Apatow Apatow, in the new HBO Crashing. Everybody just says Artie's a great actor. And he really is. And you can hear that here, you know, but sometimes, um, you know, again, uh, he's off stage, not talking into the mic. You don't know what's happening. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll uh, try and make some edits and stuff and kind of keep it going. Also, the musicians, uh, Noam Dorman and Colin Smith, they're so good on the mandolin and the guitar, and they make it special. It's a little hard to hear their instruments in the back. But, uh, again, the whole thing is a lot of fun. I think it went really well. It's, um, you know, I think it was a good length. And, uh, you know, and it was a tough one. It wasn't a, an easy section of fun Godfather stuff to do this particular episode and I think the fourth one's going to be even more difficult but I, I've got a plan for the fourth and the fifth and hopefully it'll work out I'm just trying to think if there was any other visual things that might have happened that you didn't see but I can't think of anything offhand so let's just get to it recorded live August 2nd 2016 at 8 p.m. at the Village Underground a division of the Comedy Cellar this is the year of the Godfather, the Godfather one episode three. I really hope you enjoy it. I I can't imagine you won't. Have a great time. I'll see you next week on the podcast.
ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Don himself, Dave Juskow. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. I can't decide. There's so many microphones. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming out to The Godfather Part 3. Technically not Part 3. Yeah, don't woo about because I almost I slipped. It's not The Godfather Part 3. It's The Godfather Part 1, Episode 3. Let's make that very clear. Nobody likes The Godfather 3. Am I right? Okay. Is this on? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. How's everybody doing? Yeah, we said that already. We covered that already. All right. Yeah, good, good. Because this is a very festive crowd. Look at everybody. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I love when everybody comes out to see a 40-year-old movie retold by a bunch of idiots. This is fantastic. I can't even... What a wonderful day. Oh. As you can see, I'm a little stressed out. I've got to relax a little bit. I, uh, when I do these shows, I get a little stressed. I uh, you know, was bringing my uh, cat to the groomer today. I set, I set show days aside for cat grooming, and um, I was supposed to bring her to the ASPCA, but I'm so frazzled, they ended up, I mixed up the letters, brought her to the NAACP by accident. Mixed up the letters. And uh, they were like, oh, we don't groom cats. And, um, but then they did because she was a black cat. And um, that was really nice of them. So I'm going to bring them back next show. Um, I was like complaining because I was like, oh, my God, I've been standing for like an hour. And then I was thinking of the wait staff. And they're like, shut up. <laughs> That's so mean. Um, you know, so you, you heard of The Godfather, right? No, I'm just asking. If, okay, yeah. And... Um, I don't know whether you know this, but I'm going to take the mic out of stand be a professional comic for a second, uh, something I don't normally do. Uh, the Godfather, when, when it was nominated for Oscars in the 1973 Academy Awards, James Caan, Al Pacino, and Robert Duvall were all nominated for Best Supporting Actor. All nominated. But they lost to Joel Grey in Cabaret. Which is the highest of all insults for most of us. There's a table in the back, I know, they're like, but Liza won. Um, my friend Scotty was supposed to be, he's actually Liza's publicist. He, uh, he would have been furious if I said that. No, no, it's okay. Because I was thinking those acceptance speeches must have been, that, how diverse is that? Like, um, he's like, if James Conn had won, which he should have, because it was a powerful performance, it would have been like, yeah, like that Brando, Pacino's okay, everybody's real nice, you know, Coppola's, thanks a lot for everything. And then, you know, Joe Gray was like, I'd like to thank Liza Minnelli, first of all. And then Bob Fosse, oh my God, this is the greatest day ever. I mean, it's just so, you know, if you watch on YouTube, the 1973 Academy Awards, you can actually see James Caan turning to somebody and going, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Poor Jimmy Caan. My Paul Lynn imitation. Ah, it's the only crowd that gets it. Might as well use it up tonight. Ah. <laughs> yeah, never gonna work again. So, um, speaking of gays, uh, there's there's a movie called That Thing You Do. I don't know if you've heard of it. Well, what am I talking about? It's this crowd. I mean, of course you've heard of it. That thing you do. It's a 20-year-old movie. That's, uh, that's what we all know. It's called That Thing You Do. It's Tom, it's Tom Hanks' first directorial feature. It's about a boy band from the 60s. I don't know. It's, it's good. I like it a lot. I've seen it a hundred times. But did you know, and I swear to God, you can look it up on your phones right now, there's a director's cut 
Does anyone know? I'm not making it up. Is there anybody that can confirm this? See? That's, it's true. The director's cut, he's absolutely right, shows that Tom Hanks' character is gay and his boyfriend is Howie Long from the Oakland Raiders. This is no joke. This, yes. This is the director's cut of that thing you do for God knows reason. It's like the, the cinematographer was sitting there and he's like, Mr. Hanks, why are you blowing that guy? And he goes, it's for the direct, keep rolling. It's for the director's cut. Don't you worry. I know, I still can't figure out. It's just, uh, there's no joke to it. It's just, uh, wait, you see it, you'd be like, why? Why? Why are we doing this? And why did you feel the need to cut it out? Obviously, you're up to something. You know, I think um, our parents kind of suck because uh, they don't know shit about shit because, first of all, you remember how your parents, when cell phones first came out, they told you, uh, you got to keep a landline? You got to keep a landline. It's a case of an emergency. They didn't know about emergencies. They were talking about a case Pearl Harbor happens again. They didn't know about 9-11 or Hurricane Sandy. What's the first fucking thing to go? The landlines. First thing to go. Do you know what it's like? I'm the last one that has a landline. Do you know what it's like calling somebody under 30 with a 212 area code? They never pick up. They're like, hello? Am I being audited? Nobody ever picks up. But I was thinking, you know, things are a lot easier, though, because it was always so, there was so many difficulties, like, like, like calling a, a, a girl if you were a teenager, or, you know, a, a 13 or 14, it was so, you know, if you had to go through their father to get to the girl, on the, you know, like in 16 Candles, like, uh, hello, sir, um, is Samantha home, and may I converse with her? I mean, a lot of us all had to go through that. Nowadays, you can just text, and it's a lot, there's a lot of pressure off. It was the same way for me when I, was, when I used to buy condoms because I couldn't buy condoms. I couldn't buy condoms. Now I don't have to worry about that. I can get them online. and get everything online. All the embarrassing stuff I can get online. But I couldn't buy condoms. I don't know. I was just very uptight. I was very... I don't know why. Who cares? I mean, if there's a girl at the line, it would seem to be like, oh, this guy's getting laid. That's pretty good, right? But I wasn't thinking of those terms. I don't know why. They're like, what's he going to do with condoms? That's what I'm thinking they're thinking. I care what people think. I care what people think. Until the one day... My friend, 20 years ago, he called me from Sweden. And he goes, listen, the condoms here are for shit. You got to do me a favor. He was there for like six months. And of course, he was in Sweden, so he's getting constant laid. And, um, and he said, you got to pick up condoms for me. You got to pick up condoms. You got to pick up American United States condoms for me. And I'm like, dude, you know I can't do that. You know that's the one. He goes, you got to do me this favor, please. You got to do me this solid. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I just can't help you. And he goes... I can't believe you're like that much of a pussy. You can't pick up two boxes of Magnum condom. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't, you didn't say there were Magnums. Yeah, that I can do. So that was a big day for me. I went to the store. I picked up the Magnum condoms. I was like so on fire that day. I picked up all the other stuff I was afraid to buy my whole life. I'm like, yeah, give me a tube of that Preparation H and uh, I'll take a box of those tampons just in case. You know, you can do a price check on it too. Hold it up in the air and do the price check. I don't care. I got two Magnum condoms. How are you? Hey, put a little something on for yourself. You're okay. <laughs> hey, you're all right. You know, I'll tell you. Uh, hey, they still love the Rodney. Yeah, well, uh, there it is. <laughs> the condom bit. Hey, everybody. <laughs> you don't have to. It's not necessary. That's for when I pull out the James Spader material. That's, uh, 
<laughs> Nobody cares anymore. I can do Blacklist Vader, I think, though. It's, uh, Lizzie, one time I was in Belize. I don't mind telling you. All right, that's all there is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Let's get this show on the road. I would like to bring up uh, a wonderful, wonderful guest this evening. He was just on America's Got Talent, and he got voted off because he is horrible. No, no, he got ripped off. He got ripped off, and everyone in this room knows it if you've seen it. And uh, he's great. He's going to be upstairs on August 10th. He's making his rounds. He's new. He's awesome. You're going to hear a lot about him if you haven't already. Please welcome the amazing, great Mr. Sam Morell, everybody. You know you got shit. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, IMDb movie trivia. Okay. America's Got Talent. I got fucked. I lost to a mime. But it's not that bad. His name was Tapeface, so. My mom texts me when I got got off. She's like, you had our vote. Yeah, I kind of assumed that, Mom. Thanks. That'd be weird if she texts me, look, we love you because you're our son, but uh, we just really felt that Tapeface was better, so... He really spoke to us. <laughs> Dave's talking about the Magnum condoms. You guys use those? Yeah, Magnum condoms are kind of like the N-word. White people created them, but only black people get to use them. It's yeah. <laughs> a, a good joke. All right. My girlfriend just got one of those vibrators, and I got an Xbox, so we are spending less time together. But yeah. I'm playing NBA 2K. She's playing with herself, but... Either way, we're both thinking about LeBron. (laughs) You women are amazing because you can fake an orgasm, but you can't fake a good mood. (laughs) That's fucking crazy, right? You can tell me I'm the best you've ever had, but you can't smile once at a family picnic? Come on. I choose the wrong women. I do. My therapist was like, you tend to pursue damaged people and then try to help them. And I was like, you too. <laughs> Every woman I've ever dated, they try to change me. And I'm like, stop trying to change me. They're like, I'm not trying to change you. I'm trying to improve you. You know what women are like? They're like that thing in your iPhone that keeps asking if you want an update. <laughs> They're just constantly like, hey, do you want to get better? And I'm like, remind me later, okay? I'm happy with my current operating system. I don't ask the right questions early on. What do you ask on a first date? What kind of music do you like? Who gives a fuck? Ask something useful. How comfortable are you yelling at another person in public? (laughs) That one's gonna come in handy. (laughs) When she's berating you in public and people are staring, you're like, it's cool people. We both like Coldplay, so. She likes kids. I don't like kids, Emma. I, a little, but like, come on. Babies are miracles. I don't know. It's only babies. It's never adults, right? We have a baby, and we're like, it's a miracle, and then it grows up, and we're like, never mind. Uh, we were wrong about that. A baby's not really a miracle, right? Anyone can make one. Winning the lottery, that's a miracle. You would never win the Mega Millions jackpot and be like, should we keep it? <laughs> We're going to keep it. 
We tell kids they could be whatever they want, but then we don't give them the odds, which I think would be helpful. You know, if I have a kid, I'm going to be honest. If he's like, Daddy, can I play in the NBA? I'd be like, statistically, it's possible, but let's take a look at this chart. <laughs> I've taken the liberty of factoring in your size and race, and it doesn't look good. You're a tiny Jew. <laughs> why we named you TJ. <laughs> I love kids. I, I tried to join the Big Brothers program and I, you know, I, they wouldn't accept me as a member. I made a tasteless joke in the interview. I made it to the third round and the woman was like, what's a bad example for Big Brother? And I couldn't resist being like, you mean like a child molester or something? <laughs> she was like, we were looking for like impatient or something like that. <laughs> I was like, I thought we were playing high stakes. I, uh, She's like, what are you going to bring to the Big Brother program? I was like, patience. <laughs> it's the opposite of pedophilia. <laughs> the willingness to wait. <laughs> I know it's a pedophilia joke, but it's structurally perfect. So, you know, just got to take what you can. <laughs> Been on the road a lot. Delta's dead to me. They're pieces of shit. They've got the Biscoff cookie, but other than that, it's a damn fine cookie. I like a pretentious cookie like biscotti, you know? I feel like Chips Ahoy looks at biscotti like, dude, we get it, you studied abroad, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I like that. Although they took 20,000 of my airline miles, I was like, that's not fair, and the woman's like, oh, we don't do this anymore. I was like, you don't do what anymore? She's like, we don't do complaints anymore. I was like, that's crazy. She was like, uh, yeah. You can email a complaint division, but it's like six months. And I was like, that's, how is that a thing? She was like, also your mother's a cunt. I was like, wait, what was that last part? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but that's how, that's how it made me feel. I don't think my feelings should be disregarded. That's there. I've been through a lot of therapy. That's how I talk like that. That's like, if you're fighting, if I fight with my girlfriend, I would never call her crazy, but I would tell her how I feel. I wouldn't, I would never say crazy, but I say, I feel like based on your current behavior, you would fit well in a psych ward. That's just how I feel. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. My feelings are important. I get transferred to someone at Delta. She's even worse. She was like, oh, well, your miles are from 2010, and we didn't start keeping track until 2011. Sorry. That's a direct quote, by the way. Sorry, with an A-Y. The least sincere of all apologies. You'll never go to a funeral. Sorry. <laughs> and if you do, that's the murderer. <laughs> I was like, this is not fair. She said, well, I don't know what to tell you. I said, I feel like you're being kind of condescending right now. And she said, oh, am I? <laughs> and I'm not proud of what I said next. I said, I hope that you die in a fire. <laughs> that came out of my mouth. I'm not proud of it. I'm just reporting the facts, you know. She hung up on me, which, you know, it's a little rude. <laughs> I don't hope she really dies in a fire. It was a joke. Maybe a moderate form of cancer would be fair. If we're being... <laughs> If we're going to talk about what's fair and not fair, I'm not a monster. Treatable, by the way. Treatable cancer. And then she shows up to the hospital and they're like, there's nothing we can do. Your insurance ran out in 2010. So, Sarah. I'm glad you guys laughed at that one. It's hard to make a good cancer joke hit these days. And you guys are pretty cool. Everyone's so sensitive. I did a show, and this guy was like, I got those three hot girls, and you owe me big time. I was like, thank you. He's like, yeah, it takes a woman like me to get those chicks in. I was like, yeah, but you're a man. He was like, excuse me. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, you're not a man? He was like, you can't tell me how I identify. I said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. He goes, fuck you, you made a mistake. And I was like, I can clearly see that you're a woman now because you're furious at me, and I have no idea why. 
And then he forgave me, proving he really was a man. I make trans jokes. I'm supportive, but I do. I made a Caitlyn Jenner joke, and uh, my girlfriend was like, you don't get it. You're a straight white man. Caitlyn has had it hard, okay? Has she? <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner's never worked a job in her life. She's been coasting off of Bruce's success her entire existence. <laughs> that guy trained hard every day to give her a better life. <laughs> Caitlyn is a gold-digging whore. <laughs> I guess I look like a curvy woman, a voluptuous woman. I don't know who came up with a stick-thin model look. I guess it was the fashion industry, which means uh, gay men. <laughs> gay guys are like, these are the hot chicks, and straight guys are like, if you say so. <laughs> I mean, I'll fuck most of them, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> Why do gay guys get to choose who the hot women are? That's like straight guys got to decide which is the best Broadway show. <laughs> Be like, all right, and the Tony goes to Rocky again. <laughs> And I have a single friend, he fucks a different woman every night and he's still not satisfied. He's like, oh, why do they always want to sleep over? They always want to spend the night. Why is that? I was like, I don't know, probably because they're naked and exhausted. That's like the number one time I don't want to move where I am. If I want to call an Uber and stay awake thinking about the mistake they just made as they get picked up by possibly the second creep of the evening. At least they get to rate the Uber. I wish, I do kind of wish that dating worked more like Uber, because Uber lets you know how far away your ride is. <laughs> That'd be so nice when she's telling you a story that doesn't go anywhere, and you're like, three minutes away, we could do this, all right. <laughs> then she starts a terrible news story, you look down, you're like, now it's eight minutes, what the fuck? <laughs> Cancel ride. <laughs> Becoming a better person, I don't even watch porn anymore, do you know that? That's a, you probably wouldn't know that, but... That'd be weird if you did know that. I quit. Because I, I can't relate to the main character anymore. I was delusional enough when I was single to relate. But now I know that no one wants to fuck me and it's harder to watch. If they made relationship porn, like it was just like a woman who was like tired, you know? And she was like, not tonight. And that was the whole video I'd watch. But... <laughs> and then the guy takes out a Kindle. That's the money shot. <laughs> was that one too weird for you guys? <laughs> You're fun because you laugh at like seven or eight in a row and then you're like, nah, not for us. We got it. We got a good gauge. I went on a date once and my friend was like, you got to masturbate before the date. Have you ever heard that? Because that way if you get laid, you last longer. That's what he said. Here's what they don't tell you though. If you masturbate before a date, you're going to cancel the date. <laughs> I call the girl like, there's been a change of plans. You go to the movie. I'm going to take a nap. And people ask how you stay faithful when you do this. Like, I'm on the road a lot. They're like, how do you not cheat when you're on the road? Do you want to know my secret to not cheating? This is my secret. Uh, not one woman has tried to fuck me ever. That's how I do it. <laughs> sure, it's hard. I'll be alone on a plane, hot women walking towards me. I'll be like, this chick better not sit next to me. She sits next to me. We don't speak the entire flight. I'm like, that was a close call. Fuck. I'm a great American. Because I do get ashamed of what I find attractive. I'll see a dumb bimbo, my dick pops up. I'm like, damn it, penis. Intelligence should matter, but it doesn't, you know? Not to my penis. Having a penis is like having a Republican son. 
It's a part of me, so I have to support it, but these are not the views that I endorse, you know. <laughs> the penis really does change over time. Back in the day, all I needed was a picture of Jennifer Love Hewitt's smile. She was lovely. Now it's harder. Now I'm fucking an actual woman. She's choking me. I'm like, tell me I'm adopted. She's like, what? Mm. what it takes now I'm not happy about it it's harder every time I have sex with my girlfriend she says you made me come which is pretty generous because I know I'm not doing much you know we'll be having sex she's like I'm about to come and I'm like cool and then she's like stay completely still <laughs> okay <laughs> then she's like you just made me come I'm like are you sure <laughs> kind of feels like I played dead with an erection is what happened <laughs> made you come that's like if I went to the barber shop and I'm like, can you hold the buzzer completely still? <laughs> so rubbing my head around it like a cat. <laughs> You're the best I've ever had. <laughs> I saw a dad in a coffee shop uh, and he was quizzing his son on dinosaurs. Like every 30 seconds he would hold up a picture of a dinosaur and his son would be like, that's a stegosaurus. And the dad would say, good job. Well done, Stephen. Why are we quizzing kids on dinosaurs? I've never needed that knowledge. You know, it's never come in handy or gotten me out of a jam. <laughs> never been driving drunk. Some cop pulls me over. What kind of dinosaur is this dude? <laughs> I don't know, a stegosaurus? He's like, step out of the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> we should be quizzing kids on things they're gonna need in life. This should be the quiz. He holds up a photo of the same woman but slightly different pictures. He's like, all right, Stephen, what's different? <laughs> And the kid's like, her haircut, he's like, very good. <laughs> That's gonna get you out of so much unnecessary bullshit. <laughs> then another photo of a woman, is she angry? And the kid's like, she's gonna say she's not, but I think she really is. <laughs> and the dad's like, you're fucking good at this, dude. You're better than me, that's why I only get to see you on weekends. <laughs> uh, all right, there we go. This city is wearing me down, slowly. I take a lot of late night subway rides and I'm sick of the crazy people. This guy got on last week, 3 a.m., there's probably five people on the train, he just looks around and he goes, y'all motherfuckers scared now. <laughs> just kept saying that y'all motherfuckers scared. <laughs> like the third time he said it, we're like, yeah, we're fucking scared of you, absolutely. <laughs> Stop saying it like it's surprising that we're scared of you. You seem fucking imbalanced. So I see he's wearing headphones, and I do that thing where you protect your brain. I'm like, maybe it's a song, you know. Everyone's favorite hit single from the 90s, y'all motherfuckers scared now. I just follow the cord going down. I see it dangling. I'm like, ah, fuck. <laughs> Extra crazy. Because you can't tell they're crazy until it's too late, right? Like, I'm on the train once, and this guy yells out, hold the door. And I held it open for him, and he gets on the, and he just starts cursing everyone out one by one. And they're all looking at me like it's my fucking fault. I think the lesson is to not be a good person. Because then a few days later, this old lady was like, please hold the door. I was like, I'm not falling for that shit. You know? <laughs> I've been burned before. I get into arguments with people I don't even know on the train. I was on the train and I asked this guy, I'm like, uh, man, the Knicks, what are they going to do? He's like, why are you asking me? Because I'm black. I was like, you're wearing a Knicks jersey. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> He's like, yeah, because it matches my sneakers. I was like, oh, that's because you're black. <laughs> All right, you guys are great. Enjoy the show, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, welcoming David back, I guess. Thanks, 
Sam Morell, everybody. Yeah. Right? He's fantastic. All right, everybody relax. Let's get down to business. A couple of announcements. What? All <laughs> oh, right, the Godfather, right. Oh, yeah, we're going to do that too. Uh, no, just a couple of announcements that the next Godfather part episode four will be on November 15th. It's entitled, Sonny Should Have Used the Easy Pass Lane. <laughs> so you're not going to want to miss that. <laughs> uh, also, me, Artie, and Lenny are starting a little football show here on September 27th on Tuesday at 6.30. Once a month, we're going to talk about football, talk about tailgating, just uh, make some picks, have some puppets. I don't see how you can go wrong. So please come down for that. I feel like I'm at um, uh, the temple at the end of Yom Kippur with the announcements. Uh, <laughs> Also, there will be a, a brotherhood meeting. And, uh, uh, okay, so uh, just um, we're going to do The Godfather with for you again. Uh, this is the third time. We will be carrying scripts because you can't expect uh, people to memorize stuff for $20. And uh, I, uh, in this one, I will be playing because um, I was upset last time. I, I was, you know, sometimes I, I, I get a little obsessed, as you know, and I was watching and I just can't not be a part so I gave myself uh, some more stuff to do this time so uh, for the first bit part I will be playing the narrator and for some reason I decided to do it as Charlton Heston because not only is this the only crowd that will ever understand um, or possibly know who he is but the thing is I've been doing Charlton Heston imitations since the 80s when it was hacky then so I'm completely ready uh, to you know go with that and then I'm also playing uh, McCluskey and uh, Tessio, which I was going to have Jeff Ross do, but he's, but he's out of town, so I will do the best. Uh, now let's, uh, we got our, our, our band. Our, this is uh, Noam Dwarman. He's the, the owner and proprietor of this establishment. And Colin Smith on guitar. Noam will be playing the mandolin. They are, they're our band this evening. And uh, hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hi. Thank you very much for coming. You can take off your hood. You're scaring everybody. Uh, <laughs> that's what musicians do. You can't tell them what to do. You can't tell them how to act. <laughs> you look good. You look good, Colin. Um, so do you know about that Jewish-Irish guy that I met? And I told you he was just like he was trying to tell me. Like He was like, no, really, I'm Jewish. And I just, I just got a schmear of cream cheese before. And it was, he was just doing everything Jewish thing in an Irish accent. Oh, the whole thing's for cocktail. I, I swear to God, that's uh, right on 23rd Street. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's begin, and I will make the intros for The Godfather. We will meet our cast, and I will tell you who they are playing. I've already introduced Noam and Colin. Uh, as, uh, after I finish, the narrator for this evening will be Mr. Rick Crome. Rick is from the Broadway show You're in Town and Footloose on the hit show Louie, playing the role of Kay Adams tonight from the band Six is Wild and the show Match Game, Jenny Lynn Rodriguez. Playing the stranger, Officer Phil and Lou the limo driver from the Artie Lang Show and the FX hit show Louie, Mike Bichetti, of course. I mean, come on. Can't do a show without him. Look at him. Look, he's in orange today. Playing Enzo the Baker and, as always, Johnny Fontaine from the nightly show with Larry Wilmore and MTV's Guy Code, Matteo Lane. Playing the nurse at the hospital from last week tonight with John Oliver and Inside Amy Schumer, William Stevenson, everybody. Yeah. Playing Tom Hagen from the Late Show and the hit podcast Misery Loves Company 
please welcome Lenny Marcus. I'm going to move down. Playing Sonny Corleone from The Tonight Show and Comedy Underground, the very handsome Russ Maneve. Playing the very big part of Michael Corleone today from America's Got Talent and the Comedy Cellar podcast, little Danny Natterman. Playing Virgil, Virgil Salato from the epic, legendary show Three's Company and the FX smash hit The Americans, Richard Klein. And of course, paying Pete Clemenza from the upcoming Judd Apatow HBO show Crashing and the Artie Quitter podcast, it is Artie Lane! All right, let's begin The Godfather, episode three. Previously on the Year of the Godfather. <laughs> Vito Corleone, the head of the biggest crime family in the nation, met with a prominent heroin dealer named Virgil Salazzo and told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> Salazzo retaliated with the help of some of the other crime families in New York and gunned down the King of the Don. Fortunately, the Don slipped on a banana peel during his assassination, and the gunman didn't get enough shots to kill him, so he's currently healing at the French hospital in Manhattan. The Corleone family is worried that Salazzo will strike again because they realize the death of Don Corleone is the key to his and the other families taking over the city. We pick up! With Michael Corleone, the Don's youngest son, distraught over the preceding incidents and extremely worried about his father. Pete Clemenza, the Godfather's oldest friend and capo regime, Michael's older brothers and sister, are cooking dinner. Clemenza calls outside to Michael, who is sitting on a bench outside the kitchen all alone, looking kind of like a retard from the zoo. His longtime college girlfriend, Kay Adams, is calling on the phone. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mikey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want it on the telephone. Well, who is it? Some girl. Hello, Kay. How's your father? He's good. He's, he's going to make it. I love you. What's that? I love you, Michael. Uh Hello? Yeah, I know, I know. What the fuck? Who are you, Han Solo? Who's that? <sighs> Tell me you love me, you big weirdo. Well, I can't talk right now. I think there's a bad connection or something. It, it's hard to hear you. I... <coughs> yeah, what, what's that, operator? <coughs> yeah, all of a sudden, crazy, right? Can't you say it, Michael? Say what? Say, I love you back. I, I just got out of the shower. I have soap in my eyes. What? Listen, you. I'm telling you I love you after your dad just got shot five times in the back. I'm pretty sure that wasn't an accident. And you're no sunny when it comes to penis girth size. You should be pretty grateful I'm still on board with this relationship. Now tell me you love me. Uh, what was that, Clemenza? You need someone to stir the sauce. I'll be right there. 
Oh, well, whoever this is, I'll see you late, later. Michael hangs up the phone. Whew. That was close. Hey, Mikey, why don't you tell a nice girl you love her? Well, what the, how, how did you? Well, you couldn't have it. Uh, when did you? Uh, I love you all in my heart. If I don't see you again, I'm going to die. <laughs> uh, hey, jerk off. Come here, kid. Learn something. You never know when you might have to, you know, cook for 20 guys someday. Why would I ever have to cook for 20 guys? Well, I just assume you might have a bunch of guys over. You know, you, you don't want to cook because you're obviously gay. Well, wh why do you think that? I don't know. You went to college? <laughs> <laughs> you're afraid to talk to a broad on the phone? It adds up. And you think I'm so gay that I wouldn't be cooking for just one guy I love. But I love cock that much that it would be 20 guys. And I'm going to feed all of them after I finish. I don't know what you kids are up to today. And even if you did think I was gay, why would Don Corleone's son ever have to do the cooking? Wouldn't I have you or some other lesser soldier do it? Well played. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> you see, you start out with a little bit of oil. Then you fry some garlic. Then you throw in some tomatoes, tomato paste. You fry it. You make sure it doesn't stick. You get into a boil, you're shoving all your sausage and your meatballs. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so fucking hungry. <laughs> uh, add a little bit of wine, a little bit of sugar, and that's my trick. How's that your trick? Everyone makes their sauce like that. I had a friend, he was doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor, and he used to slice it so thin that he used to liquefy in the pan with just a little olive oil. It was a very good system. Oh yeah? How many onions did he use? Three small onions. That's too much. No, no, no. Three small onions. Sonny enters the kitchen. Hey, why don't you cut the crap? You guys are mixing up the movies. I got more important things for you to do. How's Paulie? Oh, Paulie, what's him no more? <laughs> really? Why not? Why not? You told me to, you know. <laughs> I'm just busted on it. <laughs> I just hope he didn't suffer. Uh... Wait a minute, you said, uh... uh I'm just busted on you. <laughs> Jesus. Cut it out, Sonny. Michael begins to walk out of the house. Hey, where are you going? To the city. No, I, I want to send some bodyguards with him, all right? No, no, I'm just going to the hospital to see Pop. And, uh, a few other things. Never mind. Send somebody with him. Nah, nah, he'll be all right. Salazzo knows he's a civilian. All right. Be careful, huh? Yeah, sir. Send somebody with him anyway. No, no, I'm going by myself, and that's fine. We cut almost sitcom-like to Michael squeeze like a sardine into the car in between two button men on the way to the city. Whew. Any more people in here, we're going to need some lube. <laughs> As no one in the car laughed at his joke, we cut to the Waldorf Astoria, where Kay has been waiting for Michael to have dinner in their room. Wow. He could possibly get laid tonight if he doesn't repeat that joke. I have to go. What the fuck? You just got here. Can I go with you? You know, okay, there's going to be detectives there, people from the press. Okay, fine. Well, I'll ride in the cab. I don't want you to get involved. You don't want me to get involved? 
Then why the- and excuse my language again, fuck, did you bring me to your sister's wedding, pull me into the family photo, and tell me the story about how your father was gonna murder that band leader? Uh, how do you like that lasagna? <laughs> Michael, do you have Tourette's? Every time we have a confrontation, you always ask how I like my lasagna. It's what I say when I got nothing. Michael, when will I see you again? Go back to New Hampshire. I'll call you at your parents' house. You go back to New Hampshire. I'm having a steak at the Waldorf Astoria. Why would I ever go back to New Hampshire? When will I see you again, Michael? I don't know. You don't know? Michael gets up and leaves. Kay gets up in a burst like Mo Green spilling his drink over when Michael tells him he wants to buy him out later in the film. She's screaming out the window at Michael as he walks down the street. Now, this scene may not have been in the movie, but for all you ladies out there who've been treated like a bag of crap from boys like this, it sure as hell should have. Hey, asshole! You keep walking, because we're through. Yeah, that's right. I'm ending it with you. So don't even think about coming to New Hampshire a year from now after you've been married to someone else to try to get me back just because your first wife blew up because she didn't know how to pronounce the days of the week. Because I may not be available. There's a lot of fresh cock in New Hampshire that an elementary school teacher like myself might enjoy. And don't think I won't go looking for it. You've seen me in that movie looking for Mr. Goodbar. I'm a school teacher in that too. And I'm looking for rough and dangerous sex from lowlifes. Like your mom! I was nominated for a Golden Globe for that jerky, so put that in your lasagna and smoke it! Oh, by the way, your mother's lasagna sucks. It's dry, and the sauce is stupid. I was faking it when I was like, hmm, wow, that Mama Corleone is such a good cook. And wow, what an attractive mother you have! Hey, I'm back. <laughs> I forgot my hat. Oh, Michael. Hey, uh, I didn't really mean any of those things. What things? I've been stuck in the elevator for ten minutes. Oh, well, then who was I... Well, it doesn't matter. Call me when you get home. Right, sure. I'll call you. Michael the coward he is leaves. A stranger enters the hotel room. Can I help you? Yes. <laughs> you just screaming at me outside. Some of those things were very hurtful. Especially the stuff you said about my mom. Jeez. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> we dissolve to a cab. We dissolve to a cab pulling in front of the French hospital on West 30th Street. The French hospital was the same hospital where Babe Ruth died in 1948 after a legendary hot dog eating contest, or at least that's the way I'd like to think of him going out. Michael gets out of the cab and into a very quiet hospital to find no one is at the nurse's station. He walks down the hall to check in office and only sees a half-finished sandwich on a desk. Clearly the other half eaten by Babe Ruth before he died. <laughs> now Michael is a little panicked. He runs down the hall up the stairs towards his father's room. He pauses, noticing there's no guard outside the Don's door. He walks around the corner up to room number two and hesitates before pushing the door open, nervous of what he feels he might find. He wonders if it might be the other half of that missing sandwich. The door opens to reveal that, yes, 
Don is in the bed. Michael wonders now, is he alive? He walks up to the Don, and he's startled by a nurse. What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here now. I'm Michael Corleone. This is my father. There's nobody here. What happened to the guards? Your father just had too many visitors. They interfered with hospital service. The police made them leave about ten minutes ago. The nurse checks the Don's pulse to pretend like he's doing something when clearly he was just eating that sandwich before. <laughs> Michael picks up the phone and dials the operator. Yes, get me Long Beach 4 five, six, two, zero. No, that's not a phony number. <laughs> well, can you try Murray Hill 32825? No, it's a real number, damn it. Well, how about Bensonhurst 73848? <laughs> All right, I'm fucking with you. The real number is 555-1375. Five, five, five. <laughs> Thank you. And nurse. Oh, wait a minute. Stay here. Yeah, Sonny, it's Michael. I'm at the hospital. Listen, I got here late. There's nobody here. No, nah, nobody. No Tessie's men, no detectives, nobody. Papa's all alone. Excuse me, but are you going to be here long? I got a half-uneaten sandwich that's not going to eat itself. Plus, it's rather rude to say, Papa's all alone. I'm right here, you know. It's just a little disrespectful is all. I'm sorry, but you will just have to leave unless you have weed. Michael starts walking around the room. He's checking to see if the bed might fit through the doorway. Okay, you and I are going to move my father to another room. Now, can you disconnect those tubes so we can move the bed out? What? That's out of the question. Nurse, you know my father. Men are coming here to kill him. You understand? Now, help me, please. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Listen, you pasty-ass whitey. I'm just going to turn around, go back into my office, finish that sandwich, and pretend like this whole damn day never happened. All right, all right. What if I got you a big gulp to go with that sandwich? All right, some weed. Now you're talking. Michael and the nurse roll the Don's bed to another room. We hear a door close and footsteps coming up, which seems like a mountain of stairs. Michael and the nurse peer from the doorway. A suspicious man holding flowers seems to be looking for a room. Ooh, flowers. Shut up. Michael and the nurse come out of hiding and talk to the stranger. Who are you? Yeah, who the hell are you? I'm Enzo the Baker. Am I don't you remember me? Enzo. Enzo. Uh, yes, Enzo. Enzo. The Baker. What? Ask him if he has any weed. You know Enzo the Baker, who's really into Nazarani's daughter, eh? Oh yes, Enzo. Right. Right, Enzo. <laughs> right, Enzo, uh, Enzo. Uh, uh. Right, Enzo. Uh, we know. So how you doing, man? Ah, uh, well, you know, not so good. I've got a pain in my hands from rolling dough all day. It just won't go away. Oh, that's probably carpal tunnel. Ah, uh, well, listen, you better get out of here, Enzo. There's going to be trouble. Hey, uh, listen, if there's a trouble, I stay here to help you. Uh, for your father. For your father. All right, all right, for my father, I get it. Now listen, wait for me outside in front of the hospital, all right? Okay. I'll be out in a minute, now go ahead. Okay. 
Bye, Enzo. Nice meeting you. I like Enzo. <laughs> Michael and the nurse return to the Don's room at his bedside. Now you, you just lie here, Pop. I'll, I'll take care of you now. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Michael kisses the Don's hand. The Don smiles with a tear in his eye. Oh, nurse, you left too late. <laughs> He's obviously high. (laughs) Those lines weren't written for just show. Oh, oh, right, okay. It's okay, I'll try it again. Michael kisses the Don's hand. The Don smiles with a tear in his eye. (coughs) Faggot. I feel it was worth it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to go now, but I will leave you in the capable hands of the great Rick Crome. But before I go, I would just like to say that the Italian-Americans are among the most loyal, most law-abiding, patriotic, hard-working American citizens in this land. And it would be a shame, Mr. Chairman, if we allowed a few rotten apples to bring a bad name to the whole barrel. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Heston. Michael leaves to meet Enzo outside the hospital. Enzo is waiting on the outside staircase. Michael grabs the flowers Enzo is holding and throws them over the edge of the staircase. Get rid of those things, would you? Uh, Hey, those actually were for my mother, but uh, okay. Michael begins primping Enzo so he looks more thuggish and gives the appearance of a possible Corleone bodyguard. Michael turns Enzo's jacket collar up. Hey, come here. Now, put your hand in your pocket like you have a gun, all right? Now, you'll be all right, okay. So, uh, you know, uh, how you doing, man? Uh, good, 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 good. <laughs> you uh, still dating that girl from I'm a New Hampshire? Yeah, 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 she's at the hotel room. Pretty pissed off that I left, too. Oh, yeah, chicks. Uh, am I right? Uh, oh, yeah, I hear that. You know, uh, it was a pretty fucked up. My boss uh, had to ask your dad for help so I could uh, get married. Uh, yeah, that's messed up. Uh, I know, right? <sighs> Her name is uh, Catherine. Uh, she's uh, way hot. Uh, but she feel like a free spirit. It's sexy, you know? But uh, I always uh, be on my toes because she get uh, sick of me. Maybe not the kind of wife you're supposed to have in 1946, you know? I mean, uh, maybe she doesn't feel like cooking anymore or cleaning or taking care of the kids. I mean, what am I supposed to do, huh? Because I'm not. Uh, well, I mean, if I had to in a pinch, okay, I guess I go. But I shouldn't because I'm a man. Uh, and listen, okay? And believe you or me, I'm definitely a man. And just because I said I could do a little at the cooking cleaning doesn't mean I'm not a man. And I'm sure I suffer from male pattern baldness and erectile dysfunction every once in a while. But who doesn't? Uh, and, uh, oh, for God's sake, shut up! What's the matter with you anyway? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a black car pulls up to the front of the hospital. The occupants look at Michael and Enzo from inside. Michael undoes a button of his coat and puts his hand through the buttons as if he has a gun. The car then drives off. We did it! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> 
Hey, uh, and you see other faces, and they look stupid like, uh, uh, who are these tough guys? <laughs> we are little scared girls. This is amazing. Oh, that was so cool. Can you imagine if they had gotten out of the car? <laughs> we would have been like, oh, my index finger will teach you. Uh. Michael and Enzo continue to reminisce as Enzo takes out a cigarette. However, he has trouble lighting it with his Zippo lighter. Hands are shaking. Uh, no, <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, no, the hands are shaking. Uh, they only like that cigarette for it. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, this. Um, fine, fine. They're not shaking. Uh, okay, <laughs> you know it's cold out. It's cold out. It's uh, pretty warm to me. <laughs> I have Parkinson. Yeah, nice try. <laughs> well, you kiss your dad's hand. Shut up. Hey, you shut up. Oh, you shut up. <laughs> Moments later, sirens are heard as police cars screech to a halt in front of the hospital. Michael shoes Enzo away, and he is grabbed by an officer. Now hold still. Enter Captain Mark McCluskey, a 20-year veteran of the New York City Police Force. Many years ago, he was an honest and tough cop. However, he was only taking home $100 a week as a captain, so he became susceptible to bribes in order to supplement his salary. Bruno Tartaglia and one of McCluskey's four sons went to Fordham University together. The... Tartaglias and McCluskeys became very close, and in turn, it led to a friendship with Virgil Salazzo. Now, Captain McCluskey is the drug dealer's bodyguard and hilarious sidekick. <laughs> I don't know how you getting hoods locked up! What the hell are you doing here? Well, what happened to the men who were guarding my father, Captain? Why, you little punk! What the hell are you doing telling me my business? I pulled them guys over here! Now you get out of here and stay away from this hospital! I'm not moving until you pull some guards in my front of my father's room! Phil, take them in! He's clean, Captain. <laughs> the kid's a war hero. He hasn't been busted for the racket. God damn it, I said take him in! What's the Turk paying you to set up my father, Captain? Why, you little, again! Take a hold of him! Stand him up! Stand him up straight! The police officers take a hold of Michael as he keeps trying to slouch down and not stand up straight, which is really annoying, Captain McCluskey. Hey, knock it off! Stop that! Just cut it out! Finally, McCluskey punches Michael in the jaw as two cars full of Corleone screech up. Men get out of one car and run up the steps towards the Don's room. Tom Hagen and a couple of men from another car go to take care of Michael. Tom releases a verbal barrage of legal jargon on McCluskey that's so insane it actually makes you think of becoming a lawyer just so you can say it to someone someday on a lark. I'm the attorney for the Corleone family. These men are private detectives hired to protect Beto Corleone. They're licensed to carry firearms, and if you interfere, you'll have to appear before a judge in the morning and show cause. What? I said, I'm the attorney for the Corleone. I heard what you said, you crout Mick Turkoff. <laughs> I just have no idea what it means. It sounds important, so, uh, all right, let him go. McCluskey turns away in anger. Not because he's that mad, but he feels he should have had a bigger part in the film, seeing that he's such an awesome character. I know, right? <laughs> Shit. Come on. You want to go for some coffee? Why, you let... Yeah, all right. McCluskey out! We dissolve 
to the Corleone Mall at the compound. Clemenza and Michael get out of the car and walk through the gate, noticing many armed men all over the mall. Michael now has a bruised jaw from where McCluskey punched him. Tessio greets him. What's with all the new faces? We'll need them now. After the hospital thing, Sonny got mad. We hit Bruna Tatalia four o'clock this morning. Jesus Christ. It looks like a fortress around here. Four a.m. Well, I was fast asleep by then. But I guess that's a quality whacking time. Four a.m., right? Pete, would you say that's a quality whacking time? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm more in tune to the classics, so I like whacking at 8.12 p.m. That's the time Lincoln got shot. Hey, uh, by the way, how did Bruno die? No one ever says. No one knows. However, it's a real pickle to kill him in the Godfather video game. If you had the PS2 version, you have to grab Bruno, drag him towards the furnace oven, push the right thumbstick up, press yellow, and that will push him into the oven. But it's really hard to do. I mean, I had to go on a chat line 10 years ago to figure it out. Later, Don Corleone's office. Sonny is in the best mood. He's all smiles, walking around, doing bits, pretending to use a cane. He's as happy as Robert De Niro was in Goodfellas at the diner scene when he thinks Tommy is going to get made. Hey, Tomanooch. Hey, a hundred button men on the street, 24 hours a day. That Turk shows one hair on his ass. He's dead. Yeah? Believe me. Hey, Michael, come here. Let me look at you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Just gorgeous, eh? Eh? Hey, listen to this. The Turk wants to talk. And gosh, imagine the nerve of that son of a bitch. Craps out last night and wants a meeting today. Yeah, what did he say? What did he say? Bada beep, bada boop, bada beep, bada beep, bada boop. <laughs> what? You know, bada beep, bada boop, bada beep. I still don't understand what you're saying. Uh, maybe I can say it best in a song. That means I love you. I took my baby far out of space. He taught us both to Nobody digs the word we say. That means I love you. Come fly with me. I get high with me. Bada beep, bop, bork, bop, bop. That means I love you. Anyway. The Turk wants us to send Michael here to, to, to proposition. And the, and the promise is that the deal is so good that we can't refuse, huh? What about Bruno Tatalia? That's part of the deal. Bruno cancels out what they did to my father. Sonny, we, we ought to hear what he has to say. No, no, no more. Not this time, Consigliere. No more meetings, no more discussions, no more Salazzo tricks. You give him one message. I want Salazzo. If not, it's all out war. We go to the mattresses. 
Why is your answer always going to the mattresses? Do you even know what that means? I thought it meant when you get a blowjob while you're taking a shit. That's a blumpkin, you idiot. It is? Then what's a Lucky Pierre? That's when three French gay guys have sex. The guy in the middle is called Lucky Pierre. <laughs> I thought that was a French dip. That's a sandwich, Sonny. God damn it. Your father would not want to hear this. This is business, not personal, Sonny. And it's disgusting. Hey, they shot my father. That's business? Your ass. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. Well, then business will have to suffer, all right? And listen, do me a favor, Tom. No more advice on how to patch things up, please. Just help me win, please, all right? The two brothers calmed down after that heated exchange. And just in time, too. It was getting a little weird. <laughs> I found out a bit about this Captain McCluskey who broke Mike's jaw. Yeah? What about him? Okay, now he's definitely on Salazzo's payroll. And for big money. McCluskey has agreed to be the Turk's bodyguard. So what you have to understand, Sonny, is that while Salazzo is being guarded like this, he's an invulnerable. Now, nobody has ever gunned down a New York City police captain. Never. It would be disastrous. All the five families would come after you, Sonny. The Corleone family would be outcast. Even the old man's political protection would run for cover. So do me a favor and take this into consideration. We wait a beat. Even hot-headed Sonny realizes the odds are impossible. All right. We'll wait. We can't wait! Excuse me? A sphincter says what? A baking powder? Ribbed for her pleasure. <laughs> we move slowly in. All eyes on Michael. This is the transformation we've been waiting for. In the previous scene, Michael has been punched in the jaw. Al Pacino played it perfectly. Can Dan Natterman muster up any acting here? <laughs> or will we just get a usual Natterman performance? <laughs> which really works for me either way. <laughs> it would take Al Pacino 11 years until we saw a performance like this from him again. Yes, Scarface, the second greatest movie ever made, although Goodfellas really puts it in third place now, and, and of course, Clueless being a close fourth. But... <laughs> Right, right. Go ahead. We can't wait. I don't care what Salazzo says about a deal. He's going to kill Pop. That's it. That's the key for him. Must get Salazzo. Mike is right. See, the fat guy gets it. Hey, let me ask you something. What about McCluskey, huh? What do we do with this cop here? They want to have a meeting with me, right? Uh -oh. It'll be me, McCluskey, and Salazzo. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now, we insist it's a public place. A bar, a restaurant, a Ramada Inn, maybe? The Chuckle Hut Comedy Cove in Cleveland? The men's bathhouse in Chelsea? You know, someplace where there's people, so I feel safe. There were limited people the last time you played at the Chuckle Hut in Cleveland. That was due to poor advertising on my manager's part. <laughs> Moving on. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But... If Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for me, then I'll kill them both. There's another long pause. And then, 
All of a sudden, Clemenza begins to chuckle. <laughs> Tessio joins in the merriment, getting louder. <laughs> Finally, Sonny chimes in with a huge belly laugh. <laughs> <laughs> You little fat. <laughs> Hours pass. The laughter continues. There is more laughter after this one line from Michael than when Mazzini beats Wesley in a game of wits in The Princess Bride. There is more laughter from this one line than when Pee Wee Herman asks if there's a basement at the Alamo. <laughs> there is more laughter from this one line <laughs> than there is at a Dan Natterman headlining weekend at the Chuckle Hut in Cleveland. Hey! Hey! hey. What are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? Didn't want to get mixed up in a family business, huh? Yeah. Now, what are you going to do? You going to gun down on the captain? Why? Because he slapped you in the face a little bit, huh? What do you think this is? The army? Where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get up close like this and bada bing! You blow the brains all over your nice Ivy League suit. Come here! Sonny, I got this suited gimbals. <laughs> <laughs> you are taking this very personal. Tom, this is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop that's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a cop. A dishonest cop. A crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what he was coming to him. That's a terrific story. And we have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They might like a story like that. They might. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. They... But if I'm being honest, it's a little personal, too. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> we cut to Clemenza's cellar. Clemenza is showing Michael the gun he's going to use. Michael isn't really paying attention anyway and is being kind of an asshole. It's as cold as they come. Impossible to trace. So you ain't got to worry about prints, Mike. I put a special tape on the trigger and the butt. Here, try it. Michael picks up the gun, aims it, but doesn't shoot. What's the matter? The trigger too tight? Michael shoots the gun, which gives off a very loud, <laughs> echoing sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I left it noisy. That way it scares any pain in the ass innocent bystanders away. All right, you shoot them both. Now what do you do? Okay, I sit down, I finish my dinner. <laughs> Come on, kid, don't fool around, all right? You think I'm fooling around? Oh, like Pete Clemens is going to pass up a good meal. <laughs> Look, I see your point, but listen. Just let your hand drop to your side and let the gun slip out, all right? Everybody will be still looking at your face, Mike. Excuse me, Mike. Everybody's going to be looking at your face, Mike. Excuse me, Mike. Everybody's going to look at your face, Mike. Uh, okay? They're going to be staring at nothing but your face, so you walk out of the place real fast, but you don't run. Don't look nobody directly in the eye, but you don't go away either. Uh, what? That's the most convoluted advice I've ever heard. Plus, that's a lot of information to remember. Walk, but don't run. Stare, but don't stare. How am I going to concentrate on finishing my meal? 
Oh, I hope it's a sushi place. I'm getting hungry already. Let's do this! Yeah, they're going to be scared stiff for you, kid. Believe me, so don't worry about nothing. You know you're going to turn out all right. Thanks, Pete. You're okay, too. Yeah. You take a long vacation, nobody knows where, and we'll catch the hell. Oh, and you guys would do that for me? That's sweet. How bad do you think it's going to be? Pretty goddamn bad. Probably all the other families will line up against us. That's all right. This thing's got to happen every five years or so, ten years. Helps to get rid of the bad blood. Been ten years since the last one. You know, you got to stop them at the beginning, Mike. Like, they should have stopped Hitler at Munich. They should have never let him get away with that bullshit. They were just asking for big trouble. Well, I tried to stop Hitler. What did you do? Come again? I joined the army to stop Hitler. You guys love scheming and killing people. Why didn't you get the five families together to kill Hitler instead of getting so mad at a movie producer for not casting your godson? <laughs> or even better, since you're so into the old country, why didn't you make a plan to kill Mussolini? Well, you know how it is. You get busy with things, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, I get it. It's much more profitable to make sure the baker's daughter gets married. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Mike, we was all proud of you being a war hero and all. Your father, too. Okay, so I guess we're not continuing with this conversation. <laughs> I don't know whether you know this or not, Mike, but your father bribed the Navy doctor treating your war wounds to exaggerate the injury so you'd be sent home. It's in the book. What? Are you saying my father had contacts in the Pacific where I got injured and you still didn't decide to kill Mussolini or Hitler? What the fuck is with you guys? Your priorities are a mess. Hey, you know what? Take the gun again. Maybe pull the trigger a few times will make you feel better. Maybe. I'm still finishing my dinner after I kill those guys. Wake up to the Corleone dining room. It is 6.30 p.m. Michael, Sonny, Clemenza, Tessie, and Rocco are sitting around eating what appears to be the most delicious Chinese food ever <laughs> for some reason. They are waiting for news about where the Salazzo meeting will take place. Michael is smoking a cigarette as the others eat. Uh, Michael, why don't you eat something? And ruin my appetite before the meeting? Forget <laughs> it. You know they're going to pick someplace delicious. <laughs> Clemenza starts eating. Like he's in the movie What About Bob, enjoying every bite just to torture Michael. Tom enters the room. He has been trying to get any contact he has ever had to give him a heads up on where the meeting might be held. Nothing, not a hint, absolutely nothing. Zilch, got zero. Bubkiss, nada. Nil. Zippo. Diddly squat. Nothing. Even Salazzo's people don't know where the, where the meeting's going to be held. Wait a minute. You're in touch with Salazzo's people, and you didn't know where they were planning to kill Pop? What the fuck, Tom? How much time do we have? Maybe I'll, I'll just have one egg roll. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they're going to pick you up in front of Jack Dempsey's joint. Hour and a half. Exactly an hour and a half. Ah, Jack Dempsey's. The legendary bar restaurant on Broadway between 49th and 50th Streets in Manhattan was opened by the former heavyweight champ in 1937. In 1974, it closed because, like today, the landlord, Inch Realty Corporation, raised the rent 54 fucking percent. This is allowed... This allowed the Brill Brothers to purchase the building, which now houses Lorne Michaels and Broadway Video. Broadway Video has been kind enough to bring us such Saturday Night Live sketches that never should have been turned into movies, like Superstar, A Night at the Roxbury, The Ladies' Man, and MacGruber. Thank you, New York Real Estate. 
And maybe the meeting's at Jack Dempsey's. That'd be hilarious. They have a complete club dinner there with the roast beef and the swordfish for only a buck seventy-five. Also, I heard Jack Dempsey's there a lot. Maybe he can punch the lobster in the face. You know, this is not a bad idea. Okay, Jack Dempsey's it is. It's not going to be Jack Dempsey's. You really are a hothead. <laughs> no wonder we're in this mess I'm going to get us out of. You're welcome. We could put a tail on him and see how it turns out. Salazar would lose her ass going around the block. What about the negotiator? He's over at my place playing Pinochle with a couple of my men. He's happy to let them win. Wait a minute, Pinochle? Isn't that more of a girl's game? You're thinking of Mahjong. <laughs> oh, that's right. Speaking of which, I haven't received my 1946 Mahjong rules card yet. There's too much of a risk for Mike. Maybe we ought to call it off, Sonny. The negotiator keeps on playing cards until Mike come home safe and sound. So why don't you just blast whoever's in the goddamn car? Too dangerous to be looking for that. So Lotso might not even be in the car, Sonny. Whoa. All right, jeez. Calm down. All right, calm down. Now who's the hothead? The phone rings. Sonny, his wife Peter, and his ridiculously hairy arms get up from the table to answer it. I'll get it. Yeah? Yeah. Well, thanks. Sonny hangs up the phone and returns to the table with the big news. Louis' restaurant in the Bronx. Is that reliable? That's my man in McCluskey's precinct. The police captain's got to be on call 24 hours a day. He signed out at that number between 8 and 10. 24 hours a day? Jeez, no wonder he's so crazy. <laughs> Anybody know this joint? Yeah, sure I do. It's perfect for us. A small family place, good food. <laughs> Everyone minds his business. It's perfect. Whoa. Now, wait a minute. How do you know it so well? Since when have you been hanging out in the Bronx? I hang out in the Bronx sometimes. When? Lots of times. Bullshit. Name a time. I can't think of one right now. Oh, you can't think of one right now? Hey, will you guys knock it off? I'm keeping my eye on you, Tessio. I don't know what it is about you, but I know something, Detective Fishy. And yes, I said Detective Fishy to acknowledge your television work. <laughs> Pete. They, they, they got an old-fashioned toilet, uh, you know, the, the box and the, uh, the, 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 the chain thing. Uh, we might be able to tape the gun behind it. Yeah, absolutely not. I'm not putting my hand back there. That's like a box full of water with duty in it. Forget it. And how in God's name are you so familiar with the toilets in a particular restaurant? Why would the name Louis in the Bronx register for you? Oh, yeah, the one with the pull-chain toilets. Now, hold on a second. I'm going to test you. Okay, Sardis. The closed coupled toilet with a pipe connecting the cistern to the pan is exposed. Hmm. Lindy's on 49th Street. That's a back-to-the-wall toilet with the pipes are discreetly hidden. Lucha! That's one of those new water-efficient dual-flush <laughs> systems. Well, the man knows his toilets. All right, Mike, listen. You go to the restaurant, you eat, you talk for a while, you relax, you make them relax. Wait, wait, make them relax? Like by giving one of them a back rub or something? What? No. You get up and you go to take a leak. Better still, you ask permission to go. Then when you come back, you come out blasting. And don't take any chances. Two shots to the head apiece. Listen, I want somebody good, and I mean very good, to plant that gun. I don't want my brother coming out of the toilet with just his dick in his hands, all right? 
Don't you mean I don't want my brother coming out of the toilet with his huge dick in his hands? Fine. His huge dick. That's what's up, Negro. <laughs> don't worry, the gut'll be there. Behind that yucky toilet box? Ew, gross. Listen, Tessio, you drive him and you pick him up after the job. Come on, okay? let's move, let's move. Tessio, wait. There's a dramatic pause. Michael is perhaps about to say something profound before he goes off on his unprecedented task to save his family. Tessio. Yeah? How's the Italian food in that place? Oh, best in the city. However, whatever you do, do not try the veal. They just never get it right. Well, good, because I'm starving. So excited for dinner. Yeah, yeah, but remember, kid, what I told you. You're not really there for dinner. Hey! I said so excited for dinner. Okay, okay, take it easy, take it easy. Everyone gets up to walk Michael to the door. Michael says his goodbyes to everyone individually. Who knows if and when he may see his brothers again. Thank you, Tom. I'll, I'll always remember the three good times we had together. Tessio, I told you, I'm keeping my eye on you. Jury's still out on what your deal is. Rocco, I'll see you mostly in the second movie when I scream at you and say, Rocco alive! Pete, Pete, I know you're jealous I'm going to a restaurant, but you already ate dinner. Don't forget what I told you. Two shots and had a piece. All right, as soon as you come out the door. Gotcha. All right. Let's go. Ah, Sonny, Sonny. I guess I'm going to miss you most of all. That darn temper of yours always makes me smile. Did he, uh, did he tell you to drop the gun right away? Yes, a million times. Oh, for good lord, I get it! <laughs> Two shots in the head! I'm not a jackass. Two shots in the head. <laughs> hey, uh, Sonny. Alright, let's go. How long do you think it'll be before I can come back? At least a year. A year? Well, what do you think it was gonna be? I don't know, a few days? A week tops, a year? Well, it's not like we're gunning down Christy Yamaguchi. Hey, and then, uh, Mike, listen, uh, I'll square with Mom, huh? You know, you're not seeing her before you leave. Oh, my God, I forgot Mom. <laughs> well, she gets it. You gotta love these mafia wives. And uh, I'll get a message to that girlfriend when I think the time is right. Ooh, she doesn't get it at all. She might be all in your face asking where I am. Just tell her I'll be back in a year and to wait for me just in case I get married to someone else and it doesn't work out. <laughs> that ought to do the trick. Whatever you say, Mikey. Come on, kid. Michael is making conversation on the way out, all the way to the car. Ooh, I, I think I'll start with an antipasto. I wonder how that bolognese sauce is. Ooh, that's going to be delicious. And obviously, dessert. Hmm, perhaps I can shoot them after dessert. It is now 8 p.m. in Manhattan. Michael is standing outside, impatiently waiting on the sidewalk outside Jack Dempsey's restaurant for a car that will, he hopes, be taking him to the Bronx. The whole family is relying on Sonny's information at the police station. A car pulls up, and the door opens. 
I call shotgun. Michael gets in the front seat with Lou the driver. Salazzo is in the back seat in the shadows. Well, I'll tell you what. Any more people in here? We're going to need some Lou. Why do you keep saying that? To be honest, I think Kay might be right. I have Tourette's. That's pretty fucked up. But I'm glad you came, Mike. I hope we can straighten everything out. I mean, this is so terrible. It's, it's not the way I wanted things to work out at all. Should never have happened, Mike. Excuse me? Michael inches into Lou, the driver, to talk to him. Hey, it's a practical joke, right? I don't think so. Hey, these dudes are a couple of faggots, huh? Uh, I don't know. Well, what's my next move, man? Hey. Thank you. You've been helpful. Michael goes back to talking to Salazzo. Michael goes back to talking to Salazzo after not being so sure if the dialogue from the movie Trading Places was going to resonate with the audience. But as with this entire series of Godfather readings, the author was hoping for the two people in the audience who will get it. Straighten everything out tonight. I don't want my father bothered anymore. He won't be, Mike. I swear on my children, he won't be. You got children? Yeah, some kids in the neighborhood. <laughs> Maybe some in the Philippines. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Look, you got to keep an open mind when we talk, Mikey. I mean, I uh, hope you're not a hothead like your brother Sonny. You can't talk business with him. Ah, he's a good kid. Uh, Jesus, where did you come from? I had him over to the back seat when you called shotgun, you punk. Boy, what a hothead. I'm sorry about the other night, Mike. I got a frisky, so turn around. On your knees facing me. See, I knew y'all was a couple of facts. What? <laughs> On my knees? You really think I'm naive? No, you idiot. I just have to make sure you're not carrying a weapon. Oh, right. Well, I'm, I'm no sonny, but I've got a weapon in my pants and it's loaded. <laughs> I'm hoping to meet an Italian virgin after this. hey <laughs> McCluskey begins to frisk Michael. I guess I'm getting too old for my job. Yeah. Too grouchy. Can't stand the aggravation. Yeah, I just stay above the equator, Sandoz. Why, you little? He's clean. <laughs> to Michael's dismay, the car carrying the four men take the exit for the George Washington Bridge. They're going over to New Jersey, leaving the blazing city behind. Michael keeps his face impassive. Whoever had given Sonny the info on where the meeting was to be held had given him the wrong dope. Where were they going to dump him in the swamps, or was it just a last-minute change in meeting place by the wily Salazzo? Uh-oh. Michael notices the sign that says, To New Jersey. Wait a minute. you you got to be kidding me. We're going to Jersey? Salazzo is startled by this line of questioning. Why is Michael so afraid of going to New Jersey? Besides the obvious answer. <laughs> Salazzo doesn't say his next line for another what seems like about 20 minutes in the movie. Maybe.
Lou, the driver, has been looking through the rearview mirror, waiting to make some form of move. But because he may also have Asperger's, it isn't clear if that is the plan. When they are nearly all the way across, Lou gives the wheel a violent twist. The heavy automobile jumps into the air when it hits the divider and bounces over the lanes going back to New York City. Both McCluskey and Salazzo are looking back to see if anyone has tried doing the same thing. It's a gutsy move. Salazzo pats Lou on the back. Nice work, Lou. Thanks, boss. Uh, yeah, yeah, really great work, Lou. I think that weapon in my pants just went off. <laughs> Lord, you're the worst driver anywhere. Europe, Asia. I had to make sure we weren't being followed. Relax, jerk off. We have a better plan than that. What is it? Stop telling. Can I have a hint? No. Why are you little? See, that's why I won't tell you, Virgil. You gotta tell this guy to relax. The car finally pulls up to Louie's Italian-American restaurant. Whew! Wasn't sure if we'd end up here or not. I mean, uh, oh, good Louie's. <laughs> Boy, I love this place. What a surprise. A small, friendly place where everyone minds their own business. Or so I'm told. Have a good time, guys. Can you bring me back a doggy bag? We dissolve to a table inside Louie's where the three men are seated. The waiter brings a bottle of wine and an appetizer to the table. Captain McCluskey begins to tuck his napkin into his collar. He is so ready to eat. While the waiter uncorks and pours the wine, Salazzo and Michael both stare at each other angrily. You think a 20-year police captain might pick up on the foreshadowing ambience of the situation, but he's starving. How's the Italian food in this restaurant? Good, try the veal. It's the best in the city. I'll have it! Right, now, hold on now. Tessio said it's questionable here. Fuck Tessio! A capito! The waiter takes McCluskey's order and then takes about an hour and a half to open and pour the wine and then walks away. Hey, I didn't get to order. Okay, let's see. I'll have lamb chops. Uh, should I get a side of pasta? Uh, Virgil, you didn't order either. What are you going to have? I'm going to speak in Italian to uh, Mike. Is that all right? McCluskey? What the fuck do I care? All right. Mi dispiace. Hey, la luna, mezzamari. Ishi vika bakala. Hi, hi, hi. Ishi vika bakala. Hey, kibari. Ishi vari. Vekiri kibakala. Hi, hey, ho. Hey, kibiki bakala. What happened to your father was business, all right? It's just business. Have much respect or respect for your father. But your father, his thinking is so uh, old-fashioned. You must understand why I had to do that. Well, now, hold on now. Let me see. Now, I'm not, I'm not up on my Italian that much. Uh, lo capiscio. <laughs> that means I understand. You're telling me how to do my job! <laughs> the waiter comes back with McCluskey's veal. Uh, well, now, whoa, whoa, that was ridiculously fast. Did you order ahead? There's no way that's fresh. Yeah, waiter, waiter. Well, why you only bring his dinner? And for God's sakes, man, what's the rush? I thought we were here to have a good time. Michael is starving and keeps staring at McCluskey's veal. Hey, how is that? It's delicious. Best in the city. Really? Well, that Tesco's an asshole. <laughs> I should have ordered that. Mike, Mike, let's work through where we go from here, huh? Uh, como se dice, uh, what I want, uh... What's most important to me is that I have a guarantee. No more attempts on my father's life. At this point, 
You'll notice in the movie, Michael gives up even trying to talk Italian. The reason for that is that actor Al Pacino is horrid at remembering different languages. <laughs> he can muster up a few lines, but you'll notice even in the movie Scarface, I don't think he ever says anything in Spanish unless fly little pelican is a Cuban vernacular I'm unfamiliar with. And furthermore, at this point in Pacino's career, he's yelling so much in the movies, I can't understand what he's saying in English. Hooah! What guarantees can I give you, Mike? I am the hunted one. I missed my chance. <laughs> you think too much of me, kid. I, I'm not that clever. All I want is a truce. Okay, screw this. McCluskey's almost finished with his meal. I'm going to see what's taking my order so long. <laughs> I mean, I have to go to the bathroom. Is that okay? Salazzo gives Mike an evil stare. He knows something is up. Michael didn't drink any of his water or drink any wine, and he's, what, in his 20s? He should be able to hold off going to the bathroom longer than that. <laughs> to make it look real, he should have been seriously filling up on water, like Leslie Nielsen in the first Naked Gun movie. McCluskey can hardly look up from his meal. He's so engulfed in it, but he is able to muster a few choice words with his mouth full. He is obviously a very bright man. You gotta go, you gotta go! Salazzo stops Mike and starts grabbing his testicles to frisk him. Whoa, you get, you, you frisking me or getting frisky? I frisked him, he's clean. And don't worry, I checked his testicular area more than anywhere else. So you don't need to do it again unless, of course, God, this is good veal. Don't take too long. I frisked a thousand young punks. Yeah, you keep saying that, and you know what? It's awkward. Oh, and, uh, wait, to bring the dessert menu, you know, in case those idiots didn't get to plant the gun in there. Michael enters the restroom and walks into the stall. Jesus, it smells like a cow took a shit in here. He walks over to the toilet and reaches behind the enamel water cabinet. This is so disgusting. I'm going to shower in hand sanitizer once they invent it. Michael starts to panic a bit. He can't find the gun. Outside of the restaurant, Captain McCluskey actually looks up from his meal towards the restroom. If McCluskey takes his face out of his dinner for anything, that is some serious suspicion. Michael reaches further up the tank. Seriously, th th this box isn't full of duty, is it? <laughs> I think I'm going to throw up. Finally, Michael's hand touches the small, blunt-nosed, fastened... Blunt-nosed gun fastened with tape. He rips the gun loose, remembering that Clemenza had said not to worry about leaving prints on the tape. He shoves the gun into his waistband and around his buttons, his jacket over it. He washes his hands and wets his hair. No matter how much I wash, I mean, ugh. I'm looking forward to firing this gun so it gets a stench of piss and shit off my hands. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to get that Tessio for suggesting this and not recommending the veal. <laughs> Fucking asshole. Let alone leaving Barney Miller to do fish. What was happening back then? Flo leaves Alice, Enos leaves Dukes of Hazard, and of course, the worst of all, the Ropers leave Three's Company. <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about, Salazzo. It wasn't a bright move. 
But I like the deal. We got Barney Fife, okay? <laughs> now hurry up and shoot me in the head already. I want to catch the last half of the Mets-Yankee game. Michael wipes his prints off the faucet with his handkerchief. As he emerges from the restroom, Solazzo and McCluskey are eagle-eyed in their concern. Michael stands by the door, hesitates, preparing himself mentally as a subway car is loudly heard passing close by. Then Michael walks back to the table and sits down. He remembers that Clemenza told him to come out blasting and not to have this awkward staring moment. But that experience in the bathroom was so overwhelming, he, he just had to relax. He didn't mind shooting a police officer in the head, but putting your hand behind a toilet box is... Ooh. Everything come out all right? I've frisked a thousand young punks! What the fuck are you talking about? You think I should have had a different kind of pasta with my veal instead of spaghetti? Seriously, are you high? I'm a little bit high. You're, you're freaking losing it, man. Come on. This is the conversation the two could have been having for all Michael was aware of. Michael sits at the table and unbuttons his jacket. His mind is so filled with pounding blood that no words register anyway. The young waiter comes back and remembers he forgot to take the other guy's orders. At this time, Michael thrusts the table away from him. With his left hand and with the right hand, shoots Salazzo once squarely in the head. <laughs> when the bullet exits the other side, it blasts a huge gout of blood and skull fragments on the petrified waiter's jacket. Clemenza said you were supposed to fire two shots. Yeah, I'm saving it in case I feel like shooting the waiter for not taking my order. McCluskey, holding his veal-covered fork suspended in his hand, gives a completely surprised look to Michael, and then Michael shoots him in the throat. Uh. McCluskey grabs his throat, worried he won't be able to swallow the veal. And Michael shoots him in the head. McCluskey is holding on to his last breath so he can give this young punk one more fungu before he falls ironically into his delicious veal and knocks the table over with his huge head. Mark McCluskey out! Your first name is Mark? That's hilarious. I first a thousand punks! What the... Michael and the waiter look at each other for a moment. The waiter, the waiter now knows forever he should always bring everyone's food out together. <laughs> Michael backs up, turns around, and lets the gun slip out of his hand. He walks out of the restaurant as Tessio drives by to pick him up, take him to the airport, and put him on a plane to Italy. The following dialogue would have ended Act One in the movie if Neil Simon had written the screenplay. <laughs> So, what happened? Oh, God, it was a disaster. I mean, let me just see if I have this straight. First, we marry off my sister, and I show up to the wedding saying I'm nothing like my family. Then Pop gets shot because he slips on a banana peel and can't get to safety in time. Then I change my mind and decide to go into the family business, or whatever the Sicilian thing is. After that, a police captain smacks me around, and I probably do take it a lot more personally than I let everyone to believe. And then to top it all off, the waiter forgets to take my order. Not to mention your biological clock and let me see, is there anything else we can pile on? <laughs> is it possible? Can anything else possibly happen to me today? Oh, uh, <clears throat> by the way, they messed up your reservation on the flight. You're not flying first class. Well, that's just perfect. But you didn't say how did the shootings of McCluskey and Salazzo go? 
Oh, that went good. Good Godfather. <laughs> Written by Mr. Dave Chappelle. Thank you, everybody. Let me introduce everybody once again. Mr. Rick Chrome, thank you so much. Lovely Jenny Lynn Rodriguez. Mike Bichetti, you can see him on his Don't Fuck With Me tour. Matteo Lane, who will be at the Gramercy Theater on the 18th. William Stevenson, who you can see right at the Comedy Cellar tomorrow night. Lenny Marcus, you can hear his podcast. Misery Loves Company with Kevin Brennan. <coughs> Sorry. Every Thursday. Russman Eve will be opening for Artie Lang at the Borgata on Friday. Dan Natterman, you can catch him every week at the Comedy Cellar and the Sirius XM podcast. Richard Klein, I think your exciting is on. Artie Lang will be at the Borgata this Friday night. And of course, as usual, Artie Quitter podcast. Colin Smith and Noam Dwarman um, as our band. Thanks to Sam Morell, Liz Ferrati, and Sam and Josh Zimmerman. Thank you so much. The great and Dave Guskow. Dave, Dave Guskow. Dave Guskow. Bravo. We'll see you on November 15th, episode four. Thank you so much, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>